you know, I had a student on a paper wrote one time that Mexico wanted to friend the United States, so they sent an ambassador to Washington. And I told this is not Facebook. You don't friend <laughs> countries. <laughs> you befriend them. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Rosie the Riveting, the podcast, a podcast dedicated to social studies teachers sharing their best lessons. Did you know that according to the Department of Labor Statistics, as of October 2015, almost 70% of students will be going on to college. That's a pretty high number. To put it in perspective, on a team of 120 students like I teach, 84 of them are college-bound post-high school. That is an incredible number to me. And thinking back to episode one of the podcast, we started talking about reinventing the way that we do our flipped classroom and focusing on the activities rather than the videos themselves. So the question becomes, what skills do we want to be working on? We need to be focusing on skills that our students will need out in the real world. And since 70% of our students are going to make a pit stop in college before getting to the real world, we should probably spend some time on making them college ready. When I was thinking to myself, what types of skills do my students need when they get to college. I immediately started thinking, maybe not necessarily which ones do they already have, because obviously those are the things that we're doing well, but perhaps what skills are there are they lacking when they get to college? Which are the skills that we really should be focusing on to make sure that they're as fully prepared as they can be? So enter Dr. John McLarnon, a history professor and the current department chair at Millersville University. When I thought to myself, which professor do I want to reach out to? Which professor is really going to know his students well enough to talk about this type of subject? Dr. McLarnon immediately popped into my head. He followed a less traditional path into academia. After serving in the Vietnam War, he held a variety of jobs as a bank teller, car mechanic, a carpenter, with absolutely no intention of ever going back to school. And he just happened to see a class one day on world religions being offered at Millersville, and he decided to take it. And after that class, he was totally hooked. He graduated from Millersville and then went on to get his doctorate from the University of Delaware. He's returned to Millersville now, where, as I said earlier, he is the chair in the history department. And I was lucky enough to have him actually agree to do an interview with me. And I really enjoyed this. I hope that you will as well. He's such a cool person. Please check out the blog post on rosytheriveting.com that goes along with this podcast, where below it, we're going to add a new segment called Through Rosie Colored Glasses, where I give the things that I took away from the conversations and the ideas that he inspired me to try this year. So without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Dr. John McLarnon. So thank you so much, Dr. McLarnon, for being with Happy me to today. Do. What would you say um, are the most important skills that a student could have when they get to college? Okay. Now, I'm probably not going to say anything new. But I think the single most important skill is time management. You have to be able to budget your time. Uh, I know some of us advise our, our new students, the freshmen coming in, to actually lay out a schedule for themselves and set aside a certain amount of time for study, a certain amount of time, obviously, for classes, a certain amount of time for play. Uh, now, Millersville will tell you, and I think most colleges, for every hour in class, you should be spending two hours studying. I've never agreed with that. I don't necessarily think it's you have to do spend two hours for every hour in class, but you must set aside time. If you don't, it's so easy to just piddle the time away, and before you know it, you're stuck. You're, you, you haven't prepared for exams, or you haven't spend enough time or giving yourself enough time to get a paper written. For those people who like to procrastinate, 
who say that they're, they, they perform much better under pressure, so they wait till the night before to write that paper. That's crazy. They're just asking for it. And, and maybe this is just my nature. I always was worried, well, what happens if I get sick? What happens if someone in my family gets sick? What happens if the lights go out? I'm stuck. So intelligent time management is number one. Number two are just the, just coming uh, with the skills that you need to survive, like being able to write grammatically correct English. You should learn that in high school. Everybody takes the SATs, which supposedly indicates that you have some basic command of the English language, but it's not the case when students come here and they have a difficult time with writing. I think because of the advent of, of text messaging and whatnot, they have these, these very strange kind of English that they think is proper. You know, I had a student on a paper wrote one time that Mexico wanted to friend the United States, so they sent an ambassador to Washington. And I told this is not Facebook. You don't friend <laughs> countries. <laughs> you befriend them. <laughs> Um, so good writing skills, you have to have a sense of humor and you have to have a fairly thick skin. Most of my colleagues here in this department are nice people. They're not particularly cynical or they're not particularly sarcastic, but you may have people who are sarcastic and you can't take it personally if they, if you do silly things. And you know, from being in class, I will say things to people like, what did you really say that? Um, it's not meant as a personal attack, uh, and students have to be able to roll with the punches. They really do. But I think if you can manage your time, if you know how to write properly, assumingly if you, if you read, you know how to write. If you know how to write, you can know how to read. Um, and just have an idea of don't be so concerned about the job you're going to have when you finish. Be concerned about getting what you can from the professors and the courses that you're taking. Now, this is not necessarily a vocational school. I think students have it drummed into them from the day they're born. You have to go to college to get a better job. Um, but it's not just about getting a better job. It's about getting an education. It's about preparing to be a contributing member of society. So you pay attention and you take advantage of what people can teach you both from the books from the, in the actual subject matter that they're teaching and just listening to them, uh, watching them, if you aspire to be a teacher, take special note of what the teachers who you think are doing a good job are doing. Uh, their personalities will work their way into your teaching personality when you get in school. I could go on forever, but I'll stop. <laughs> that's good. No, that's that's awesome. I, I had a really interesting conversation with a, co a colleague of mine who had said that one of the things she thought you were going to say when I said that we had this interview set up was that students are lacking academic endurance. The idea that, you know, that they don't do those outside readings and they're not coming prepared to then have discussions and they're kind of more expecting you to just lecture to them. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there's certain, I, there's a, a, a large amount of that students look at themselves as sponges you know they're just going to sit there and soak up all this knowledge and wisdom yeah. and it doesn't work that way um yeah you you have to be willing to to speak up you can't be afraid of expressing your opinions good professors will not denigrate students um whose opinions may be a little bit not fully developed let's say or there are, unfortunately, there's a handful of people that I've known over the years who are particularly teaching political history, where if students 
political ideas or opinions don't align with their own, um, they're penalized either verbally or in the grading, which I think is horrible. That's great, yeah. I'm not here to preach. Mm -hmm. And I take great pride in the fact that uh, some students have accused me of being a fascist. Others have accused me of being a socialist, even a (laughs) communist. One person thought I was a communist. They don't know where I am. And that's just fine with me. But students can't be afraid to to speak up because uh, the, the give and take in the classroom and the debates that we have and, and just discussions that we have, that's really where the education comes. It really is. Um, as far as an endurance contest, my sister always said the college is, is it's, it's an endurance contest. That's mm-hmm. all that it is, getting from the beginning to the end. And recognizing, quite honestly, how to get to the end What's the shortest distance between A and Z. Mm-hmm. I, I think when I taught you, I would put five essay questions, post them online, say three of these are going to, or two of these are going to be on the exam. You have to answer one of the two. Mm-hmm. How many answers are you going to prepare? Yeah. And people w- would inevitably say, oh, I'm going to prepare all five. And I'd say, why? Mm-hmm. You don't have to. I would like it if you could answer all five, mm-hmm. but part of your job is getting to the finish line. You only have to be prepared to answer for. So yeah. being smart um, has a lot to do with it. There's a ton of different things. <laughs> I know, and that's what makes our job difficult. That's what makes your job difficult and trying to, to get them ready to that or get them get our students to that point. Um, and so do you find that the kids are, your or your students are very willing to have discussions or is that something that's kind of gone away over the years? Or oh, no, we- no, no. It's... Um, now, I'm at a point now that, that a lot of students who register my courses already know about and they know about the debates that we have. Um, but there are very few that are reluctant to speak up. I'm more and more to the point now I've lent it out, but I, I keep a referee's whistle in here. Mm-hmm. And after the first debate, in the, there's some classes where I'll bring the whistle in because they just go at it and they're not, it doesn't turn to fisticuffs. And I never can tell what the topic is going to be that will get people really excited. In Pennsylvania history, I decided one summer that we were going to debate whether or not restaurant owners should have the right to ban young children from their restaurants. And I thought, I had read about somebody in Pittsburgh doing this, and I thought, well, this is kind of off the wall, but let's try it. Oh, my word. <laughs> people got so excited and the, you know, well, you're not going to keep my child out of a restaurant. Well, you're not going to ruin my $150 dinner by having a kid screaming at the next table. People, it was remarkable. It was remarkable. But no, I, I have very little trouble getting people to speak. So you teach a number of courses and so and throughout all different levels. You mm-hmm. teach freshmen up through graduate levels. Um, so are you... Are you seeing any skills that the kids are lacking, especially freshman level, when they come in that you would say to a secondary teacher, you know, if you could work on this, it would help get them better prepared. Just writing. Writing. And being able to state in writing whatever it is that they want to state succinctly. I force students, I've abandoned term papers and and semester-long research papers. I have students writing reviews of books and reviews of articles, they may not write more than 200 words. In 200 words, they have to be able to tell the story that's in the article, identify the the thesis of the article, and a couple sentences about that, and evaluate the article. Um, It's a difficult skill to master. 
But mm -hmm. in order to do it first, you have to know how to write. Uh, you have to know the difference between a predicate and a subject and an object mm -hmm. and an adjective and an adverb and all those other things. Um, by the end of the semester, even students that have had struggled at the beginning, they're beginning to get it. And uh, I think no matter what they do when they leave here, because most of them are not going to work in history. They're going to have jobs in some, some way or shape or form in business. Uh, and they will be required to write things. And, and no boss wants to read you know, novellas in answer to a question about you know, what was the stock of this one delivered yesterday. Uh, so writing, yeah. That's the biggest one. <laughs> Abs it, and it's, it's the thing that's most lacking. And I'm sure every teacher that's listening is going, we do that, we do that, we're trying, you know, and, and not to say, you know, that it's like a bad thing to say that we just need to do more writing, but it's like we we know the frustration because I can feel it we, in an eighth we grade. We in this department, we're appalled. We, we just dropped the number of writing intensive courses required from four to three. And wow. And we, it's not that we've seen a marked improvement in students' writing skills. Uh, we think it should be more than four. Mm -hmm. And, well, you took classes in the department. Even courses where they're not identified as writing intensive courses, we have students writing. Oh, I wrote all the time. Yeah. I wrote a ton of papers. <laughs> that, that's the nature of the beast, but uh, it's just, I don't, I, don't know where, I don't know where it's going. Mm -hmm. I think it, it has something to do with reading because I think reading improves your writing mm -hmm. because you don't even know it, but you're taking note of the way people handle things, you know, situations when they're trying to express things, when you're reading other people's work. Um, and maybe it's because students just don't read very much anymore. Mm -hmm. But that's absolutely number one is the, the writing skills, basic writing skills. I had them diagramming sentences in my oh, senior seminar class. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did that when I was in seventh grade. I still remember doing that. Oh, I hated that. I might as well have been speaking a foreign language to these students. They had never, they had never been exposed to sentence diagramming. It's so, if you learn it, then everything makes sense. It's like a piano. Everything's laid out in front of you. Um, I don't think I'll do it again, though. I, <laughs> We'll so that's what we'll take from it. That's our skill. We're going to work on diagramming sentences. That's how we're going to help them. Good. So are there any skills then that you feel that they are overall, for the majority of them, adequate at, that they come in doing very well? I think that probably the, the, the main thing that I would say is their students' willingness and comfort level with speaking in public is far better than, say, when I was in school. We didn't speak. We talked about the sponges. We sat there and listened. We didn't speak. Mm -hmm. And and I was additionally disadvantaged by the fact that for the first 12 years of my education, I had only boys in the room. Mm -hmm. And I was nervous as all get out when I finally came back to school here and I had to speak up in a class with boys and girls, most of whom were 20, 25 years younger than I am. And speech class, I absolutely dreaded it. My knees were shaking. My voice was cracking. It was horrible. I think students today, and I don't know what goes on in the, the public schools, but they're much, much more comfortable speaking in front of a group. And I think that's a great thing. You know, they, they, they talk about fears and uh, fear of heights is number one. 
fear of public speaking is number two, mm. fear of death is number three, <laughs> which like Seinfeld says, what that means is you'd rather be the person in the casket than the guy giving the eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> but they're great at it. They're, they have very few people have any discomfort speaking. Well, that's good to know. Then that's something we can just keep up oh, with. Oh, yeah, you should. Keep going with. Absolutely. Um, let's see. What about like just general topics? Since this is geared toward Rosie's, Rosie's geared towards history mm-hmm. and social studies teachers. Are there any particular like history topics that you find that there's a general lack of knowledge on that would be beneficial as a base knowledge to come in to continue? I think since I do political history, um, there there's a certain, not quite alarming, but a marked uh, misunderstanding of how government works, of the, the the separations of powers between the three branches of government. Um, beyond that, I mean, I don't expect people to be able to name the presidents in order or uh, or know what happens in Harrisburg. Nobody knows what happens in Harrisburg. <laughs> um, but there are certain areas of American history that even the, the department's deficient in. I think that students should learn something about Native American history. They don't. Or if they do, it's very, very limited. Uh, I couldn't teach it because I wasn't taught it and I didn't focus on it. But I think that's a, that's an important part of history. I think women's history is getting finally getting some of the attention that it deserves. Um, I think black history and civil rights history certainly has gotten a lot of attention in the last 30, 40 years. Um, as far as uh, beyond the, the, the boundaries of the United States, it is remarkable how many students, if you, if you ask them, if you face south and start walking, when you leave the United States, where will you be? They don't Again, know. I don't know. Oh. They've heard this term Latin America, but what does that mean? They don't know. Wow. Uh, and even more alarming, if you ask them if you walked out of this building and faced east and started walking, when you left Pennsylvania, what state would you be in? That's, that is sad. <laughs> and there are some people that claim, you know, you can't know what you are unless you know where you are. And people talk about you know, mathematical illiteracy, but I think geographic illiteracy is just as prominent and perhaps even a more serious problem. Makes me want to teach more of it, which I don't really get the chance to do, but... <laughs> well, I've tried to incorporate just maps, you know, lots mm-hmm. of maps, just so people, they, they should learn that stuff. They really should. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, this is coming from somebody, Catholic school education, where the nuns did everything by road, and we had, we just learned all this stuff, and it was drilled into us. It was dull as dishwater, and it was a grind. Mm-hmm. But uh, it left me with a foundation that I think in some regards students don't get today Mm -hmm. no i would absolutely agree with that and that's kind of just those writing skills like that diagramming sentences just goes right (laughs) back to that you know i mean there's like a foundation that you need to to move on from um so in what we do here with rosie too is we do like a flipped classroom we spend a lot of time on activities like Mm project-based learning type of things do you see kind of this move in K through 12 education where we're moving a little bit more to we're not as like sage on the stage. We don't do as many lectures, perhaps Mm -hmm. we're doing more projects. So the kids are like really, really thinking and they're figuring out the problems for themselves. Do you see that coming through into higher ed? And if so, is it a is it a Mm. problem in some ways? Well, I don't 
see it or not see it as far as, as the level of student knowledge. As far as teaching goes, um, now, our department tends to be rather traditional in their approach to teaching, although we do have uh, some people uh, who they'll assign reading and then they don't lecture. They just ask mm -hmm. questions. It's a very Socratic approach to things. Mm -hmm. where, and they question and question and question and question, and they'll get to what they want to tell people by having other people say it. Mm -hmm. We have one professor, and I don't think you had uh, was Clarence Maxwell here when you were here? He was, yes. Did you take I him? I did. From, I had one class. Did with you him. have his tutorials? I don't. He has so. initiated this thing called tutorials. Mm -hmm. He does it if it's, he teaches three a class three times a week. One class a week will be this tutorial session, and quite honestly, I don't know what he's doing. Um, I observed him, and it seemed like I was at a, a taping of Let's Make a Deal, and this is something he brought from England with him. The kids are put into teams, and they're in those teams for the entire semester. There's stuff that they're assigned to read, and he has questions, and students start to answer the questions, and he has somebody keeping score, and your team gets so many points for answering this, or, and he'll judge the, the, the merit of the answers, not just a black and white, you know, you did it. Uh, you know. mm -hmm. And then if somebody else can expand on that and say it better, then they steal the points from this other person. And it uh, was a remarkable, the, mm -hmm. the kids love it. Yeah. Um, and it's very intense. Very cool. And, uh, uh, but I just sat there. I, I was about halfway through because I didn't know what I was walking into. And I said to one of the students, what's going on in here? <laughs> <laughs> but... We're learning, mm -hmm. you know. Well, and that's we're learning we're just like the yeah, students. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, but I think that's the great thing is that we can't get rid of all of it. You know, you can't get rid of just the lectures because yeah. when they get to college, people are going to be lecturing, and at the same time, we still want to do the simulations, like you know, like that. You know, I was so. I always thought that the teaching 20th century, because of the wealth of video uh, tape stuff, it, it was is available, and you can actually see the people and listen to them. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to listen to me talk when you can mm -hmm. see FDR speaking, or you can see Joe McCarthy, whoever it is? Mm -hmm. um, and for a couple of years, I was using a lot of videos, editing it, but using a lot of it. And students started to complain. I said, "Well, aren't you ever going to teach? Aren't oh, you ever going to lecture?" Uh, because lecturing is to some degree storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I think I'm fairly good at telling stories. You just have to vary it. Mm -hmm. And certain students, the appeal for them will be more towards storytelling. Others will really like the videos. Others will, will like the interactive teaching that goes on. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we're supposed to be able to vary our teaching styles to teach to students' learning styles. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, in fact, that's yes. what, have, you, have you adapted your teaching styles to students' learning styles? Well, I've never really understood what that meant because you're facing a, a, a bunch of people with different learning styles. Mm -hmm. So does that mean I come in one class and mime everything or do a tap dance and sing? Um, <laughs> um, but we're learning. Yeah. We're learning. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I don't know if you have anything else that you think would be beneficial for secondary teachers to know as we kind of keep That's a dangerous on. question to ask yeah. them. And since... Class is starting the 29th. I should probably just stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to bring you back then for the American presidency, which I am okay. very excited for. So thank okay. you so very much good. for being here today. Well, thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it on iTunes. It helps others find us. 
For more lesson plan ideas and resources, please check out rosytheriveting.com. Rosie the Riveting is produced by Seven Side Media.